This is Observations QO Podcast for Friday. The uh, and I don't even remember what the date is. It's the 16th, actually. Um, but it's been so long since we've done this that uh, I've lost complete track of time. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dale Franks. I'm Michael Wade. And uh, we have, uh, well, I, I, we have a wealth of things that we can talk about. So much. I agree. So that I'm, I'm, I'm not if even... If we're allowed to. <laughs> well, there we go. Let's start off with that. <laughs> I, I have questions. So over the last two days at press conferences, Jim Psaki has been talking to the press about the White House, um, how do we put it, flagging misinformation on Facebook and other, uh, other platforms. Um, that sure, in, at least in my mind, brings up a lot of First Amendment questions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's pure. Well, look, in any other context, this is um, like, for example, you can't use the police or the police can't use a private investigator to go commit an unlawful uh, uh, search that would violate the Fourth Amendment if the police themselves did it. They can't go hire somebody who's a non-state actor to do it and then give them the proceeds because that that's they're just an agent of the police well the analogy sticks here that you can't have the government say you know what this really this person needs to be banned across all platforms and this information is really you know that's misinformation according to us and that should not be allowed on any platforms either well, see, here's here's the thing. Let me let me interrupt you there because if it was the government going in and saying, "Hey, you've got to take this off because it's information." That would be one thing. But what they're doing apparently is they're looking through posts. I think Steve Ducey today referred to it as spying, which, you know, got everybody's panties in a in an uproar. Um, <laughs> because, you know, they say, "Well, these are public platforms." Oh, oh, are they? We'll mm. have, we'll have that discussion in a moment. Um but what they're doing is they're saying, okay, look, they have terms of service that says you can't have this sort of information on there. So all we're doing is going to that post and flagging it for Facebook, saying that it's uh, it's misinformation. Mm-hmm. So we're Except- not telling Facebook anything. We're just pointing out to Facebook, hey, this is a violation of your terms of service on the publicly provided, hey, uh, let us know about this, report this if it's information that anyone can use. And we're just like anyone else. We're just looking over it and saying, hey, hey, look at that. That's misinformation. We, we better flag that like any other Facebook user might be able to do. Right. Um, yeah, so there are a couple different things there. And the one, I, I agree, we should keep to the side for a second about the public forum because that's a whole interesting conversation in itself. But no, the government is not the same as any other Facebook user. Uh, as a matter of fact, thanks to uh, a bunch of never Trump and just anti-Trump people. When he blocked people on Twitter, they went to court and got their Hawaii judge to uh, say, you know what? You can't block people. This is an official account. This is public stuff. And uh, you, you know, if you disseminate, you have to make it available to everyone. And, you know, regardless of how bad those decisions were on the facts and the law, that's precedent. 
Matter of fact, it was used against AOC at some point too. So this is now, I mean, so far it's the, the law of the land. Um, I mean, I guess there's an argument that's only the law of a couple of jurisdictions and I might agree with that, but you know, for what we're talking about right this second, let's at least go with the fact that there is some precedent there and it's persuasive. So you cannot say that you are acting the same as a regular private user when you have the full weight of the government behind you, when you make suggestions and I'm making air quotes with my fingers, uh, you know, you, when you point out people who should be banned, that, that that's, uh, that's a lot more than, uh, you know, Joe Schmo saying, Oh, I didn't like this post and you should really, they violates this term of service and blah, blah, blah. And those are arguments you can make. And, most of the times, if it's a conservative, especially uh, um, Facebook or Twitter or whatever else, will will listen to you. But when the government says it, that's that's a whole different ball game. And the courts have actually weighed in on this, not directly, but have had uh, decisions that that I think at least form a ring around this sort of behavior. In in that when. Government coerces, and it doesn't have to be with threats. It doesn't have to be with uh, any kind of, um, you know, implied uh, uh, action that's going to be taking place. Simply the suggestion enough is enough to make this a state action. At least that's the way I read it. It's, I mean, I know the other side will argue the, the opposite way, but... Yeah, but the uh, the other thing that she said today was was uh, and actually I should do it in the proper voice because this is what it reminds me of more than anything else. If you get banned on one social media platform, you should be banned on them all. Because yeah, that's this a is some horrible sounding, Nixon. <laughs> because this is well, it's an exaggerated Nixon. Let's. It's actually a pretty good Nixon. Let's 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 admit that. It's uh, a parodical Nixon. Well, it's like those exaggerated heads you get drawn on the boardwalk, Nixon. Funnily enough, you instantly recognized it as Dick Nixon. I rest my case. Um, the uh, this this reads a lot like an uh, an enemy. It's, it's it's right. It's not it's not illegal when the president does it, right? <laughs> and, and this is uh, it's. I mean. Let's say it's not over the line, that we can draw a technical, legal line between what they're doing and what would be over the line. If that's possible, it's only going to be by outlining exactly what they're doing and saying, well, this is the limit. <laughs> because this, th th there is literally no difference in my mind between this and ordering Facebook to, uh, you know, eliminate somebody off of social platforms. And what's even worse, and uh, this is what's so funny. I mean, talk about fouling your own nest. You know, the argument has been, well, they're private companies. They can do whatever they, they want to do. Okay. Well, I can appreciate that argument. Um, and, you know, th there's no antitrust uh, violations here. Yeah, I mean, I hate antitrust. So I'm willing to go along with the argument. But when you have the president uh, suing a class action, which I, I, I don't know what the arguments are, and it seemed really far-fetched to me, um, another yeah, that's classic. A whole, that's a whole yeah. other Trump suit. 
Right. I mean, well, yeah, it's another quixotic uh, attempt to take on the enemy. Which, by the way, but, Trump does very well. He has a history of making these rather insane lawsuits. And, he does. You know, it, it's just an irritant. They, they never go anywhere, but you have to spend valuable time responding to them anyway. Yeah, and and what he's really after now isn't, he obviously doesn't care about the money or anything like that. He cares about uh, forcing admissions and uh, getting um, people to admit what they're doing uh, and, and to you know, really put their their uh, stance on the line so that they can be attacked instead of hiding behind this nebulous, you know, there's, uh, I doubt it's gotten into the lefty, uh, uh, leftosphere, but on the rightosphere, there's a, a lot of memes about and discussion about how the whole Mott and Bailey uh, thing that the left does quite a bit. You know, they start from, from uh, the Mott, you know, well, this is a, a really, um, you know, just innocuous thing. We should treat everybody kindly. And then they go down to the Bailey and they say, and that means that white people are oppressors and, you know, <laughs> you have, and we need all these rules. And then they immediately retreat back to the, to the uh, Mott when people attack those crazy ideas. Like, wait, we're, talk we're just talking about people treating people, uh, uh, um, you know, fairly. You know, I don't know what you're going on about. And they do this incessantly all the, with all the gaslighting. And, and I think that that's uh, what Trump is trying to do. I mean, as far as I can see, that's the only successful thing he could accomplish anyway. Until these last two days where they basically say, and we're going to get to the public forum thing in a second, but they basically say, yeah, no, we're directing them to uh, tell, um, you know, who should be uh, banned and who shouldn't and what ideas should be banned and what shouldn't. And we don't have to even limit it to the anti-vax stuff or the um, vaccine misinformation, as they call it. I mean, they did this before the election with the, the whole ban on New York Post and, and the Hunter Biden uh, story and the laptop, which they're still trying to uh, keep under wraps. I guess Facebook's position is, what does it make a difference now that they're in office compared to them being out of office? We're still doing exactly what they tell us. Right. Well, and then I keep seeing this argument that, well, unless they were threatened with some sort of regulatory action or anything, then they weren't forced to do it. And they just made the decision on their own. No, no, oh, no, really? No, 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 no. We have a lot of preference on that. That right. suggestion is an implied threat. That's exactly right. It's just like uh, the whole payola scam. I don't know if you remember this, and it was sort of a minor thing, but back during the Bush administration, what's his face? Armstrong, somebody Armstrong, um, was getting paid to go on radio shows and espouse a position that he held, but he was getting paid for it. It's payola. I mean, that's, <laughs> and he didn't disclose any of this stuff. And that is wrong. It, it, it's no different here. Just because you hold that position, and you're perfectly willing with the government behind you. Well, fuck, I can just kill anybody I want now, right? Yeah, so this this sounds an awful lot like what it seems to me like a bright line First Amendment issue. Yeah. Now, who, bright line who First Amendment issues yeah. are rare. <laughs> but who, who gets to take this into court, though? Who has standing now? To go into court, I, I guess it would have to be one of the 12 people that apparently yeah, the Office of the Surgeon General is watching. Uh, do you know if you're one of those 12 people? How do you know? I, oh, there's a list. There's already been a list. And among that list is Robert uh, um, 
J. Kennedy Jr., who is a renowned anti-vaxxer. Yes, and by the, the other way, people I've never heard of. By by the way, uh, and, and I would agree that pretty much everything he puts out is disinformation. I would agree with that entirely. Yeah, I still don't I would want him to be disagree with. Right, exactly. I totally disagree. Matter of fact, hell, I, I don't know how many blog posts I've written about that in the past. That was gold, baby. <laughs> it was just so easy to debunk. But this is the. You know, I, I I keep thinking of the the quote from uh, who is the uh, Tyrion Lannister? Um, oh yeah, yeah. Off of uh, Game of Thrones, when you cut out a man's tongue to stop him from speaking, you're just telling people that you're afraid of what he might say. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's always been the case. We've known this for a couple centuries now. So, it just went into hyperdrive. In the 20th century. So somebody at this point needs to treaty trot right down to federal court and file them a lawsuit. I think so. And well, certainly the, the Trump lawsuit is going to be, I think, joined by more people. Um, you know, let him pay for it. And uh, that doesn't necessarily mean they'll be able to be certified as a class. But I do think there are at least 12 people who have. Um, a certified uh, a grievance uh, against uh, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, if they've been banned or their posts have been taken down, and the White House. I, I mean, I, I, I think that's fairly clear now. And they were complete. And here's how stupid they are. Jen, Jen uh, Saki keeps saying, well, we were completely open about that. We were completely transparent about the fact that we're telling them what to do. Like, are you idiot? That's well, not that, the standard. That, that makes it all better then. Right. And that was all because Ducey uh, accused them of spying. So the idea of spying, obviously, is that it's done in secret, right? Well, how many of those people knew that they were being surveilled before they ended up on that list? And how many of them knew that uh, they were that the government was then using that list, which was compiled by an outside source, to then put them on a watch list of who the government would say, you know what, you should probably ban these guys off these platforms too. I mean, that certainly sounds a little bit like spying. I mean, I think spying is too strong, but. Yeah, well, so does apparently everybody else in the press corps who are shocked, shocked that this sort of allegation was made by Steve Ducey. In right. the White House well, they did the same thing. William Barr said, "Yeah, it looked like there was spying on the on the on the presidential campaign." Spying? What are you talking? Spying? Oh my I god, remember, Lady I think, went nuts. I think at one point, uh, Adam Schiff said, "This wasn't spying. This was surveillance." <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. Well, yeah, these people like just have no sense of themselves. They literally have no sense of self irony. There's no self awareness. And they just think they're so self-righteous that they think doesn't matter. As long as the ends uh, are what we want, then the means are justified. Yeah. And besides, we've never, ever been wrong about anything. Oh, yeah. But, you know, here's the, here's the problem with the, the government coming in and saying, well, this is disinfo or misinformation. Is it? Because I remember pretty clearly a year ago, uh, just bringing up that, hey, this COVID vaccine, maybe it escaped from the lab in Wuhan. No oh, disinformation. That has been thoroughly debunked by fact checkers and, and journalists. Oh, how right. is it? 
It's yeah, and you know all those people who were shut down, Scott Gottlieb, um, who the other uh, uh, doctor who was talking about looked like a lab leak. Uh, and naturally, there's a lot of doctors who talked about this, and they were shut down. They were uh, um, th- they were blocked on social media. They were you know obviously ignored by the mainstream press. And then it turned out, oh, yeah, yeah, there might be something to this. Yeah, we knew this a year ago. The whole wet market thing never made any sense anyway. The bat soup theory, that, that was just so contrived. It, it just really, it was more for comic books than yeah, I mean, the, just, the actual reality. So, so, you know, misinformation, I don't know. From what I can see, yesterday's misinformation is today's information. Uh, yeah. Anthony Fauci himself, as we've talked about numerous times here, um, flat out lied and said, no, you don't need masks. Masks are not going <laughs> to. No mask will help you within 100 miles of here. Um, <laughs> and then literally three weeks later, you're not wearing a mask. Holy shit. You need to get masks now. Um, right. Wait a second. When did that happen? Oh, no, no, no. Two masks. You need to. Yeah, six months need, later, two masks. You need to double wrap that fucker. <laughs> Okay, great. Uh, but what about, oh, we don't need masks at all. There's no problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you see, I was lying because uh-huh. I didn't want you to get all the masks so that first responders couldn't have any because they're more important than you. So, you know, yeah, it was a lie, but it was for the public good. And, by the way, forget that I ever lied. And the press corps, of course, immediately says, oh, yeah, sure, what lies? Yeah, St. Fauci. Let's make a candle for him. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, if you want to talk about misinformation, how about not putting out misinformation yourself? Or, again, going back to the, the lab leak, government sources were saying, no, there's there's absolutely no indication whatsoever that this could have, have leaked from a lab. Yep. That, that, that was just false. It was, it was an outright falsehood. I don't know whether it was because they didn't want to piss off the Chinese or, or, or what have you, but... They just took that completely off the table. And all it took was 26 people writing a letter, an open letter in science, to say, actually, we do need to look into it, and it's important that we know why, and the Chinese aren't uh, aren't uh, cooperating. Although they did end it then with five paragraphs of, but, you know, we don't want to say anything bad about Asians. This is not an anti-Asian thing. This Jesus is a, a science thing, but, but you know, don't, don't go beat up Asians. Go, go fuck yourself. Just make the scientific argument and let it stand or fall on its merits. You know, the way science is supposed to work. Yeah, well, science hasn't worked that way, unfortunately, for uh, a few decades now. But, yeah, absolutely. And and the scary thing is, well, who gets to decide what's misinformation? And if you ask any liberal or never-Trumper, same thing, uh, you know, if Trump was in charge and he was the one that got to decide what's misinformation and what isn't, you, you'd be okay with that? You'd be okay with that arm of the government deciding what's misinformation, what can be put out on social media, and what can't be? You know, the funny thing is when you're in charge of Leviathan, you think everything's great. And, and the, these people just never look beyond the fact that you're not always going to be in charge of Leviathan. Well, it's coming after you too. <laughs> They're certainly going to try if they get the PRO Act passed to oh, ensure Jesus that Christ. they're in charge of Leviathan forever. And and that's I mean, they're not even hiding it. <laughs> they're, they're, I can't remember if it was Clyburn or somebody uh, said the other day that, yeah, well, we may not be able to to keep the, the House and the Senate if uh, we don't get this passed. It's like, 
did you really mean to say that out loud? <laughs> yeah, they did, because to them it sounds perfectly reasonable. After all, everyone they talk to agrees. Right. <laughs> the Pauline Kale effect. Yeah, exactly. That's what it all comes down to. By the way, let's not elide past it, because we've teased it like five times. Let's oh, yeah, talk yeah. about public forums. Yeah. That brings uh, uh, Section 230 back up into uh, play again, doesn't it? Because that's sure literally does. what that relies on. It sure does. And we've now got court decisions saying that, well, look, if you post, you know, I alluded to before, I, I alluded, to, I talked about it. Um, you know, if you are a public official and you put stuff out there, uh, you're talking about official policies, well, you know, that becomes part of the official record and uh, therefore you're in the public space. Okay, and now we got the White House saying, yeah, well, this is public space. This is public uh, forum. Okay, great. I'm glad to hear you say it because what that means now is that you can be regulated like a public forum. You're not covered by 230. And you actually are going to get dinged uh, for your editorial um, actions. Yeah with respect to, to what people post. You know. I mean, you can still take down stuff that, that's, you know, illegal in some other context. I mean, you can take down child porn. Um, yeah, as long as you do it across the board, you can take down cuss words or nudity or whatever. But you, you, <laughs> people uh, displaying opinions, they, that can't possibly run afoul if you're in a public forum. If you can say it, uh, in the excuse me, in the middle of Washington Park, in New York City, then you can say it on Twitter or Facebook or wherever else. Yep. And Jim Pasaki says these are all public forums, are they? Now, is she a lawyer? Does she know what that means? Because that seems she better not be. Because she, I don't know who she is. Is she? She might be. I don't know. I don't know. But if she is, um, well. That is not uh, an admission you want to make if you want to. No, that was so anything. stupid. And you can tell that she was backed into a corner. She she really did not anticipate that question. And she really she literally thinks that they're in the right because and she set up the dichotomy. Well, so they're more uh, uh, worried about their First Amendment rights than about people dying. Really? Uh, that's what we're talking about. OK, yeah, I'll I'll I'll. I'll have a big yes to that sure i am yes i am i am more uh concerned about what are supposed to be inviolate human rights uh than i am uh about a fucking virus than i am about people saying something wrong about a virus and other people who may or may not be idiots uh making life decisions based on that yeah yeah look life is about risk it, it happens whether you like it or not and, you know, we go out into a world full of idiots and we do the best we can. And we can't control everybody uh, so that they live by the way that it, our preferred world would work. That's just not how life is. It's never going to be that way. And every time it's tried, it ends in miserable, uh, misery and failure. Hell, we even had Biden saying it today that communism is a failed idea. That everywhere it's tried, it's failed. That socialism is no, uh, I, I can't believe he said this. I'm still kind of shocked he said it. Socialism is no acceptable substitute. Right. Oh. Amen. Oh, really? Okay. Then I need to talk to you about some of the stuff your administration. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, but this public forum stuff, I mean, Trump's lawsuit, which looked anemic, just got a huge shot of steroids. I, I mean, they're basically admitting it. And yeah. that's going to come in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is not this is not helpful for them. Um, well, we'll have to see how that turns out. I don't want to spend the entire podcast talking about that, but it was certainly over the last, well, both yesterday and today, uh, that it came up. I mean, that just seems to me like big, big news. I mean, it was like an excavator digging a hole and just not stopping. Yeah, when you're in a hole, stop digging. So let's talk about the election. And there's a whole, well, there's a whole bunch of stuff to talk about for that. But um, yesterday, the uh, Cyber Ninjas guy showed up in front of the Arizona State Senate and talked about, uh, well, some some discrepancies that he says they found in their audit, such as 74,000 more absentee ballots than were requested. Right. And, uh, uh, and then Maricopa County said, no, 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 here are the numbers. Yeah, and it, they say the totals that we counted are different than the totals you're giving us. Yeah, so I, I don't know about you. I have not been able to get a handle on this whole Arizona thing. The partisanship of the information coming out is so skewed that I have no idea who's right. It may be a big nothing burger. Um, it, it, there may be some discrepancy. Uh, it may be a huge scandal, I, but I can't tell. I mean, I, I literally, I don't know who to trust. I, I can't, I can't find a trusted source uh, for well, that's the what's coming out of that. You know, that's the trouble. Same thing with uh, what's going on in, in Georgia with uh, the Cobb County results. Uh, Fulton County. Uh, no, it was Cobb County today where they're saying, Oh, hey, today I didn't see there's that. There's an okay. extra dump of votes from Cobb County that, that we don't have a chain of custody for. And nobody knows anything about them. Well, I looked at the Fulton County stuff, and that seems pretty legit. I don't know how many votes it would actually account for. If it would be, an, I mean, you know, it's a small number. I think it was. It's less than twelve thousand uh, that Biden won by. But um, I, I don't know how many Fulton County actually accounted for, as far as discrepancies and double counting and whatever else. But I mean, there's some serious, you know, and look, from this point forward, it it doesn't matter. Look, Joe Biden is legally president. If he got there illegally, it it still doesn't matter because it's been novated. It's been okayed by the Congress. Um, You know, it's been accepted. It's done. It's a done deal. There's no. Yeah, there's no do overs. There's no. What was it that that Mike Lindell was saying a week ago? Donald Trump will be president by. uh, He's going to get reinstated in August and all this shit. August 13th. No, he's not. No, that's not going to happen. Um, it's impossible, in fact. And I, frankly, I don't want that. Not that I wouldn't rather have Trump right now. It's just that it that would be that would that would be so destructive of how uh, our system works. It, it, it we basically be reduced to nothing. At the end of the day, the electoral college met. They voted. The election results were all certified by the appropriate state legislatures. Congress right. certified the election in the Electoral College. It's over. It's done. Right. If we find out after the fact that there was cheating, that certainly may make Joe Biden a less effective president. 
absolutely and i'm perfectly fine with that and hopefully what i really want these things to do and i think a lot of people do i think most people do people i i think most americans are not interested in litigating the last election i think they're more concerned about is my vote going to count next time around uh and they're worried that it's not going to count and i think that if what comes out of these audits is they find the discrepancies and I don't really even give a shit about the vote counts. If they find the discrepancies, they find bad actors, they find bad systems, whatever it is, and do the things that are needed to do to get rid of those and ensure a clean vote. Uh, you know, I, I guess there are some votes coming up here um, in November. I know I have one for governorship. Um, uh, but really for 2022 and 2024 beyond that. I think that will set a lot of people at ease. They're not going to sweat the fact that, you know, Joe Biden's, you know, a president with an asterisk. I mean, he's going to be such a disaster anyway. He already is that I really don't think that's going to account for much. The, the thing that I've been thinking as we watch these uh, moves to try to get more, I think uh, some of the legislators in Pennsylvania want an audit um, they're talking about it in Wisconsin and whatever. That's great. You know what? We should be doing these kind of, I mean, you want to be, you, you want to feel confident that we have a free and fair election system. Then every state needs to do audits of populous counties every election. Amen. Yeah, uh, I absolutely a, agree with you on a random basis. Okay. We have our election system is all open and above board. Who could possibly uh, argue with a independent audit of that election saying, okay, let's take the numbers that were reported. Let's look at the actual ballots. Let's recount that again and have people outside of that county in charge of recounting it uh, yeah. and ensuring that it's done on an independent bipartisan basis. Every election should be audited, every single one. We don't have to recount the entire state or the entire city, uh, but you know, just picking a reasonably populous county at random and... Uh, or heck, not even reasonably populated. Pick a county at random and right. uh, start or pick three. Auditing. Or pick, pick three. three counties. Yeah, and you know that that ones that are you know you have a, a relatively steady. Uh, you you've got a baseline that you can work from. Yeah, and just just do audits routinely. I mean. What could possibly be the harm in that? Everybody would know that we are constantly looking at our election system to be sure that it's fair. Who could possibly argue against that? I mean, other than the Democratic Party. Right. <laughs> well, you know, and you said independent um, uh, evaluation or, or audit. And I, I, that's one of the problems with the Arizona thing is that these cyber ninja people, I don't know anything about them. I've seen the accusations against them that they're basically right leaning. And that may be true. That may not be true. I don't know. Um, it wouldn't shock me that they were because this was an audit called for by the GOP of the Arizona legislature. Yeah, well, apparently the guy that runs Cyber Ninjas had a couple of posts on Facebook and Twitter and whatnot talking about how the election got stolen. Yeah. So, I mean, th that's that's not a good independent contractor. And so it's no wonder it's so fucked up over there. Yeah, he seems um, to have a point. Right. <laughs> and, and, but I, I agree. I, I think the, the idea of making sure we're getting it right. And even if we get little small things wrong, we can improve that. And maybe some of those small things we get wrong are, you know, 
we're not extending uh, early voting enough or we're not keeping the polls open enough on uh, Election Day or we're experiencing problems in these parts of, of the state. Um, these counties have a harder time getting well than we need to pay more. T- you know, that should be just election integrity board sort of stuff. Yeah. So, so, but you know how it works. <laughs> Who gets elected to the election integrity board? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I, I do note with interest and some amusement that Dominion Voting Systems still has as their tagline on their website Dominion is ready to make a difference in your next election. <laughs> I bet that's not the tagline I think they should be using. Are, are you tired of not knowing how your elections will turn out? <laughs> we'll tell you before you even vote. <laughs> yeah, not a not a good look for Dominion, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, Dominion's definitely shady. Um, I, I have no idea. Uh, I certainly never saw the Kraken, and I would have liked to have seen the Kraken. But it, that it never came up. So I mean, I don't know. I, I did, mean, Dominion could be the best, you know, election system ever. Although I mean, I've seen, I mean, the Democrats are warning about it a year early, uh, uh, back in 2019. Yes, I've seen those videos. They're, they're so they're banned on YouTube, but they are available on Rumble and BitChute, of course. Isn't that funny? Yeah, funny. Who owns YouTube? Oh, that's right. It's Google, right? Yeah, exactly. It's just really weird. I actually did a, a thing with my class this past week uh, where we were talking about a uh, we were talking about Google as a case study for the week. And uh, it's the uh, the European uh, right to be forgotten that came up when this uh, uh, lawyer in Spain um, uh, was Googling himself. And he saw something pop up from La Vanguardia, a local paper, which was a news story publicly available news story about um, how he had had his property seized for non-payment of debts. And as a lawyer, he thought that that might, you know, reflect badly on him uh, 10 years down the road. So um, he tried to sue the newspaper to get them to remove it. And the newspaper told, told him to go fuck himself. Uh, and so then he turned around and tried to sue Google and won and got this right to be forgotten. So now in the European Union, if you tell Google, hey, remove me from the Internet, they got to do it. And one of the things that we did during this, uh, while while I was, it took about a half an hour to discuss the case with my class. And one of the things I did is said, okay, let's do a little search. And let's search on something that is controversial. And I picked COVID-19 because there's like, you know, 10 billion COVID conspiracies out there, right? Um, And so I just put in the search term in Google and I put it in in DuckDuckGo. And so what came back from Google was the CDC says, the Mm -hmm. National Institute of Health recommends, the Mayo Clinic says, and then on DuckDuckGo, it was the death jab of the vaccine is a satanic plot to... (laughs) Hmm. Methinks that there's some massaging of that uh, algorithm going on. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, Google's not even shy about saying that. I mean, they... They have uh, long admitted, well, especially with things that are commercially related, not necessarily this, but, you know, look, you pay us, we'll put you up higher. Oh, As a matter yeah. of fact, all these SEO um, contractors out there saying, we'll, we'll get you into the first page. And they all promise that. <laughs> yeah, no, you won't. Not unless I pay Google for it. 
Right. <laughs> and Google knows how valuable that first page of search results are. Oh, absolutely. I mean, how many people go to the second page? I almost never do. Yeah, but the trouble is, you know, there's some information. It's really weird. I have now, depending on what it is I'm searching for, I now have to use multiple search engines. Absolutely. I do, too. Because I can't trust Google to anything that's even mildly controversial. I, I just know that Google is not going to give me anything other than what the current conventional wisdom says. Well, and the sad thing, too, is that you really only have three. Uh, you have Google, you have Bing, um, and like Yahoo runs off Bing. A lot of these other search engines run off Bing. And you have DuckDuckGo. I mean, is AltaVista even around anymore? No, or like dead. any of those other ones? No, I they're dead. Know. Yeah, so I mean, you basically have three. And DuckDuckGo is pretty good. And DuckDuckGo they're... is based on Bing technology too. So basically DuckDuckGo is also Bing. Yeah, so I mean, and Bing's not bad. I'm not. I'm not knocking Bing, but it's Microsoft, so, so they don't seem to do as much manipulation though as uh, Google does. No Google, curation. Yeah, Google controls that curation algorithm a lot. Yeah. So, uh, just just another aside. How how little you can trust Google, the company whose unofficial motto for years was "Don't be evil." <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, I wonder what, what it comes up if you look up uh, riots in South Africa or uh, riots in Australia or riots in uh, Brazil or, um, or hell, even in Cuba. Seems like there's a lot and hell in France right now. Yeah, well. I have to go to like uh, basically um, UK sources to, and La Figaro in order to get really anything. AFP is not bad, but it's hard to find stuff on, on this in, in American news. Yeah. I'm, I'm often shocked by how much Agence France press has really good information that yeah. no one in America will report on. So I have to go to At the English news service of a French, um, wire <laughs> service. Okay. Because I can't get it here. And yeah, by and the way, it's just I, did incredible. Want to, I did want to talk about South Africa. You brought up the riots. Now, obviously, um, some of the riots in other places are not related in any real way to South Africa. But right. the uh, South African riots, um, is there anybody? Yeah, the arrest of the president. Yeah. Is, is there anybody who hasn't seen this coming for a decade? Yeah, well, Exactly. And, and I don't, I don't know if we ever talked about it on the podcast. I know you and I have talked about it, and I think Bruce and I have talked about it as well. And we, and as a matter of fact, I wrote about it a long time ago. Um, it's been trending this way for decades, as um, you know, they had the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and then they exacted their penalties. And then they exacted more penalties, and they started stealing land, and then they had, uh, you know, people out in, in the the hinterlands of South Africa um, harassing white farmers. And, I mean, sort of similar to Zimbabwe, and these were A and Z supporters, so that's not a surprise. Um, and you know, to a certain extent, you can understand the pent up frustration after being completely dominated by the white minority for uh, decades. Um, 
the but the I mean they just swung it the other way. They just became the oppressors. Well, one of the and things they, that that always impressed me about Nelson Mandela was that he just refused to allow any of that to happen while he was right. alive. And of and course, actually, Desmond Tutu was instrumental in that as well. Yeah, and I knew that. You know, Nelson Mandela was already 78 years old, right? He wasn't going to be with us long. And my fear was that the second he died, we would start seeing this trend. And we have seen it over and over and over again in Africa. Um, whenever, you know, white rule is overturned, the the impetus for just massive revenge uh, seems to be almost impossible to overcome. There are centuries of historical grievance there. And this is exactly what I was afraid to happen. And now you actually have, you know, ANC politicians in South Africa just saying outright, go loot and rob the homes of white people. That's right. Yeah. And this is going on for a long time, more at the local level than at the national level. But with the arrest. But it's, but it's been building ever since Nelson Mandela died. That's right. The power abhors a vacuum. There's been a serious fight within the ANC and the pretenders to the crown. Uh, over who is going to actually be in charge of South Africa. But it, it doesn't really matter it, 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 when it comes to the policies. The policies are all the same. They're all very socialist policies. They're all about taking uh, national control of all resources, which are plentiful, but I don't think they're... It's not like Norway. I mean, they've got a lot of people in South Africa. You, know, you can't depend on vast oil field, fields off of your coast. Um you know, th th they have exacted a lot of revenge and they don't seem to have any real affinity for uh, peaceable rule. Um, they want just pure power over everything. Yeah, well, you now, know, the ANC was a socialist organization. Oh, <laughs> they were communists. Let's not yes. put too, let's not put too right. fine point on that. Uh, collect uh, on the the exact brand of collectivism. They were commies, and now they're acting like commies. Right, but that's it's, exactly it's, right. It's commies with a nasty racial tinge to it. And, yeah, you know they're gonna and they're going to do to South Africa. And, and this is one of the the real tragedies I think for the continent of Africa is that almost all of the revolutionary movements were basically financed and run from. Moscow, and they were all basically communists. They were all communists in their, almost all of them, in their inception. And so whether you talk about Patrice well, Lumumba uh, or, or whoever, um, that's basically who's been behind most of these independence movements. And every time they take over and they try to impose, was it, you know, socialism with an African face or whatever, right. uh, the, the current thing is, it just all turns out to be, you know, Communism, and right. <laughs> you know, millions of people will die, and we'll destroy the economy, and we will never catch up with the with the West. Uh, and no, you won't. You'll never catch up with the West because the politics of grievance and the politics of collectivism will prevent you from doing so. And you know, you would have thought that at some point, um, someone in Africa would have learned it. And quite honestly, under uh, Nelson Mandela, I thought the South Africans had, but clearly they didn't. Yeah, well, I can't remember who said it. What, what was it? Obama? No, it, it was somebody who was ridiculed for it. But you know, 
the Middle East needs a Nelson Mandela. Um, and it's kind of true. Uh, he had, I mean, let's not float Mandela's boat too much. I mean, he was a criminal. He was as corrupt as all the rest of them. Um, he was not as nice as he's made out to be. He was no, uh, saint, but he was a unifier. He was there to try. He, he literally did his best to try and unite everybody behind a single South Africa. He got some into big things an actual right. nation. Right. Um, so, but his I mean, legacy give him is credit being for squandered. that. Yeah, but his legacy is being squandered. Um, so, and here's the other question that I have. At what point, um, after your family has lived there for a couple of hundred years, at what point do you cease to become a white interloper? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I've known people from South Africa. I know people from South Africa whose families have lived there for generations. And they consider themselves African and, and South African. Uh, hell, I know people from uh, Zimbabwe uh, the same way. And, you know, they've just been made complete outcasts uh, almost overnight. Um, and it's, it's tough on them, tough on their families. Some of them still have family back there. And, you know, what do you do? I mean, but have I not been involved? I mean, and they were also appalled by apartheid. They helped to overturn it. Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is not, um, it's not often talked about, but it, apartheid wasn't overturned in South Africa simply because white people all wanted it and black people all didn't want it and they got their way. There were plenty of whites in South Africa who hated apartheid and who hated yeah who hated how it made their country look in the eyes of the rest of the world and made them look i mean think about it you're a minority in the country how do you do business how do you be successful unless you're dealing with people who are black and african you, you, you had to and you know you do work with people you end up becoming friends with them with their families you know, become interconnected with them especially over generations you go to school with them you do all those things. So you feel an interconnected part of that community. And no, of course, a part. I mean, it's just like people in the South. I mean, Bruce has brought this up. I don't know how many times, you know, how most people in the South were not happy about, you know, black people couldn't sit down at a counter in a diner with white people. That was just stupid. And, and the people who are running the diner didn't like it either. Uh, you know, it's being enforced by these uh, good citizen councils and stuff. Well, let's, let's not paint, paint that with two, uh, <laughs> white a brush um <laughs> there were plenty of rednecks in alabama and mississippi and georgia as well oh absolutely no there were definitely people who wanted it but there are a lot of people who like just normal people and you know what they saw was hey that's a customer i can make money off of them <laughs> and you know my kids play with their kids and hell they live a couple doors down and we see each other at the market i mean that's just kind of how it works. And what most people forget today was it wasn't the bus companies that wanted black people to sit in the back of the bus. That's exactly right. This was state mandated racial discrimination. Exactly. The state ran this. This was the law. It didn't just uh, evolve de novo. Now, I'm sure if you go back to you know the time of Plessy versus Ferguson, there were plenty of white people in the South who did not want to... Uh, 
too. Oh hell yeah, they had to have somebody to be over. All the poor yeah. sharecroppers, and like you know, yeah, yeah, like I don't own any land. <laughs> I need sure somebody were, to be below me. And I'm sure there were a lot of racists. Well, we know that there were in the you know the 1950s and 1960s, but absolutely, it just wasn't worth. It just wasn't worth the effort to keep it. Right. Well, and that's the thing is, you know, each successive generation was like, why do I care what the hell the color of their skin is? Like, I like playing baseball with this kid. You know, I like going riding bikes with this kid or going fishing or, uh, you know, whatever, you know, just hanging out. I mean, eventually it just kind of evaporated. I mean, I think by like the 1980s, when I was growing up, you know, going to high school and college, like, it did not matter one fuck to me. You know, honestly, I, I come from this weird generation that, you know, I was born after the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Right. I, I don't remember racial segregation. Um, right. And uh, I did go to a segregated school, but it wasn't legally segregated. It just wasn't until I was in the fifth grade that a black family moved into the neighborhood. Right. Yeah. And uh, they moved into the neighborhood. And I remember we had a big, uh, <coughs> a, a big school wide meeting in the gymnasium. And uh, the principal, an austere godlike figure who we hardly ever saw, uh, Mr. Nichter, came out and announced. I can't that, believe you remember that. Came out and announced that there, and his vice principal, vice principal Null, Richard Null. Anyway, um, he came out and announced that. The next day, three black children would be attending school, and they didn't want any trouble. And I remember sitting there with my friends, Chris Kratz, Sandy White, uh, and a couple of others going, why would there be any trouble? Right. <laughs> Did you bring your nunchucks today? I forgot my brass knuckles. Yeah. And, and so I, th you know, I thought in the 80s, you know, I, I graduated from high school in 82, joined the military in 84, spent the 80s and early 90s in the military, and I I. I thought we had fixed all this. I thought we were That's actually. That's kind of what I thought. I thought we were working towards a the type of society where everyone was treated fairly. Yes, certainly there were problems that never went away in the inner cities, although many of them were largely policy problems. But let's uh, elide past that. And I guess if you're a Democrat and you've been running Chicago or Detroit since 1965. Uh, maybe you do have to find another scapegoat besides your own policy failures for why things in the inner cities are so bad. Um, but you know, here we, now we are in the, uh, now we're in the era of critical race theory and learning that white people are just naturally oppressors. Yeah. Without having to prove anything. Without having to present an argument. No, you, you have an immutable characteristic that proves the uh, conclusion. That's right. It's all a priori. Yeah. So, and yeah, do you, there's do you no think argument that's gonna, to be had. Do you think that's going to make things better? Right. <laughs> because, well, quite frankly, the, was way, like, the way I'm looking at it, we're heading towards South Africa. Well, and that's the thing. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember who said it, but... Um, Somebody had pointed out that, well, look, you, you stigmatize in the talking about the 2016 election. Well, you stigmatized all these people. And it was a liberal who said it. And so and that makes me think it was like Matt Taibbi or, or uh, you know, somebody like that. Somebody who's um, not a complete loon, basically. Right. Exactly. Who at least recognizes, you know, what's actually going on. Um, it said, look, you, if you treat everybody like a racial cohort, 
you can't be shocked when they start acting like a racial cohort. Uh, and, and, well, and that's not a, a direct quote. That's basically a paraphrase. But uh, And I, that's exactly what I don't want. I don't want white people thinking, you know what? We, we got to all stick together. That's that's just fucking racism. That's what I don't want. That's what we escaped, I thought, uh, and had really kind of conquered by the 80s. Um, I, I don't want that. I don't want black people to think that. I, I You know, I have black friends. I have uh, black family members. You know, I, I don't want them to think that they're separate from me. I don't feel that way. And I don't want them to think that way. Uh, and I don't want to think that way. I, I, and I don't want my kids to think that way. I just, I find nothing uh, at all uh, uh, beneficial with doing that. And yet that seems to be what they're pushing. Just as Dr. King dreamed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, crazy times we're living in. And, you know, I always wonder, okay, when are people going to wake up and say, okay, enough of this? Because honestly, if the American people just said no, this stuff would stop. Well, you know what? And I think that is happening. And you see it with, uh, and it keeps getting uh, described incorrectly. It's not CRT being uh, taught in grade schools. It's it's the pedagogy that is being filtered through the through the, through the lens, lens of, CRT. of CRT. Right. And so what comes out uh, on the other side of that lens is that there are oppressors and there are the oppressed and never the tween shall meet and nothing will ever change. Um, and unless the oppressors, which are all white people, uh, come to terms with their whiteness, which has never been defined other than uh, <laughs> I love this, um, an emphasis on getting things correct, being on time, being polite, uh, getting the right answer, um, individuality. These are all horrible things that oppress black people. Well, which would shock a lot of the black people I know who are quite brilliant and have gotten where they got because they focus very much on themselves and saw themselves as individuals. Yeah. Well, the trouble is once you begin focusing everything through and let's not hesitate to call this what it is, a Marxist lens. That's right. Then everything gets reduced to a class struggle. You are not an individual. You are a representative of a class. Now the real neat trick that the modern day Marxists have pulled on us is that Oh, it's not whether you're a member of the capitalist class or the working class. No, no, no. The class is race-based. Mm-hmm. And therefore, yeah, so now all you the, can uh... never move between classes ever. Because right. you know that sort of class warfare rhetoric doesn't work very well in the United States because, A, uh, everybody wants to be in a class above the working class and... Uh, everybody ha- has at least some idea that they might actually make it to uh, the middle class or upper middle class or even into the wealthy. We have a, a, a culture of economic and social mobility 
that just doesn't exist in the Marxist context of Europe, where everything was basically defined by the class into which you were born. So we can't have a class study, but you know what? I bet if we look really hard, we can find some immutable characteristic that you can't change and that we can use to define your class. Right. Well, it basically imprints the, uh, the, the uniform of each army on its skin. So now you're easily identifiable as this part of the army or another army. And, and that's really all it is. It's, it's, uh, it's divisive. It's meant to divide. And look, I mean, this is the point of Marxism in the, in the beginning. The whole underlying concept to what Marx and Engels was talking about was that, hey, there's a hell of a lot more of us than there are of these rich upper class people with all the money. So if we all band together, well, we're going to outnumber them and we can do whatever we want. That was always the point. And so you do it with race. Okay, well, you're an ally, you're not an ally, and we're still going to outnumber you. And, um, you know, now we're going to do intersectionality. So this makes us stronger. And white people need not apply. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's how you get Yugoslavia. Yeah, that's the Balkans. That's, uh, I mean, shit. We could go throughout history and talk about how that works. Um, but in the modern day, especially in a place like America, which is the it's the only multi multicultural place, multi ethnic place that has been successful in the entire world. Now, England, uh, well, Britain, UK uh, uh, certainly has has uh, done its part, although it's caved quite a bit. Uh, Norway is caving to its detriment. Germany as well. France has never been able to figure this out. They they are perfectly happy to lot lots lots of people in, but there's the French and then there's the immigrant. <laughs> yeah, who who live in their own arrondissement. Right. <laughs> and so I mean there America is the only place where it's been done successfully. And it's specifically because we don't base uh, our political system on any kind of ties to the old country or uh, at least not um, on paper uh, in action and in politics. Has that been done? Absolutely been done for centuries. Uh, but it's, you know, I don't know, I would say for at least the last 40, 50 years, uh, that's changed quite a bit um, and for the better, I think you're not going to find a better example of uh, races who can live together. And I don't even buy the whole race thing anyway, uh, but people from different countries and different backgrounds and different cultures living together and amalgamating, you're not going to find a better uh, uh, example than here. You know, our, our culture is fairly fluid. Something as by opposed the way, to like Europe, something by the way, that when given a choice to come here, West Africans seem to understand. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? West Africans love it here. As a matter of fact, we love West Africans. You know who some of the hardest working, most industrious, most successful people are <laughs> come from West Africa. They are from like India and South uh, 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 Southeast Asia. 
they're, they're fantastic. They come here, they, they build businesses, they create jobs, they pay taxes, they take care of their communities. Amen. Bring them. I, I love it. All right. So let's move. Oh my God. We, we have way more stuff to talk about than we have time to talk about it. Um, let's move on to Cuba. Yeah, that, that's a big deal. I don't know. I mean, well, why don't you lead off? Because I just, I'm really unsure where this is going to go. I am unsure as well. I do know that the Cuban government is trying to put the kibosh on these protests, but um, I'm all on the side of the Cubans. i tell you who I'm not on the side of is the Biden administration on one hand saying, hey, you know, we'd support your right to peaceably assemble and redress for grievances, you know, for, for all the good that that'll do you in Cuba. Um, <laughs> however, don't try to come here and pull any of that stuff, because the second you hit the shore here, we're sending you back. Yeah, it's odd that there hasn't been an outcry from the left on this. Uh, you know, you screamed about kids in cages uh, when Trump was in charge and actually controlling the border. Um even worse kids in cages when Biden was in, uh, has become in control and uh, yeah, not a peep. Um, and then ending the, the Cuban, well, and the Haitian too. I mean, I know they're not quite the same protectorate for us that, that Cubans are, but I mean, these people are coming and yeah, they're, they're not listening to what you say. And we're just going to turn them back, feed them to the sharks and these places are in absolute turmoil. Yeah. And in the case of the Cubans, I wonder how much of it is, you know, we, we are sympathetic to all of the Mexican immigrants who come here. And we should probably keep them here because, you know, they, they have horrible, hard lives. And they will also most likely reliably vote Democrat. Right. Um, Cubans, on the other hand, coming from an actual communist country, um, well, they might not be as amenable to voting Democrat over here. Well, especially and, with the established commun uh, Cuban community. Yeah, and certainly uh, they have not historically been. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure that has something to do. And we've been saying this for years, too. Lots of people have. About how, you know, if uh, Mexicans and Guatemalans and Nicaraguans come across the uh, the border, we're all going to vote for Republicans. The, the Democrats would have built the, the wall they promised us back in the 80s, like decades ago. They built the wall that Israel has between Israel right. and the Gaza Strip. But they're not because they think they can assimilate them into the Democratic uh, electorate. And it doesn't even matter if they're legal or not. Just, you know, just let them in. Yeah. And hey, if you're here, you have a stake in the country. You should just be able to vote anyway. Yeah, right. I mean, and hell, I mean, they're like New York City. San Francisco, L.A., uh, there are a lot of places that are actually saying, hey, look, it doesn't matter if you're legal or illegal. You can vote in city elections and yep. uh, whatever. It's like, are you that fucking stupid? And they are. And yes, they are. The answer but is yes. I guarantee if they were voting Republican reliably, we would be hearing something quite right. different. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> On the other hand, the Republicans might be a little more open to immigration in that case as well. Not that the Republicans aren't anyway. I mean, some of the biggest open borders people are Republicans because their donor class, big business, wants cheap labor. I mean, after all, all right, Ace, take off the Dale mask. 
if you <laughs> after all if you have a if you have a source of cheap labor that's more profits for everyone right <clears throat> that's i mean yes and that's true it, it absolutely is true and it's there's literally no doubt that uh well let's take one great example adm adm is uh, was it archer daniel midland archer Archers. daniels midland yeah and they are the biggest um uh wholesale producer of uh produce and uh grains and you know all the stuff that goes into our food in the nation uh they are the epitome of factory farming they love having cheap labor come in support their their uh, farmers and you know they get paid shit wages um they have no protections and you know they go back home for a while and then they'll come back. They love that. Um, that is not uh, to me anyway, that, that is not the way we should be running things that that's just, it's, it's, uh, you know, state capitalism. And look, it has to be said that as awful as that sounds, Certainly, the the you know, trying to get past American labor laws and trying to get this cheap labor, and and basically exploiting this immigrant community for their labor, which is often backbreaking and horrific. Um, still, most many Mexicans seem to think it's superior to staying in their country. Well, which, yeah, which that, gives that's one right. an idea of how awful it might be in Mexico if you're poor. Right. Yeah. Well, what's the next best alternative? Right. The problem is, and I've always been for, I mean, look, I think our immigration laws need to be overhauled greatly. Um, I have no problems with a, a, a border wall. I have no problems with regulating uh, uh, immigration a lot more. But I'm also not against, I would rather have uh, HB1 visas be for farmers, you know, seasonal workers. You know, let them come here. Let them pay taxes. Uh, pay them a little more. You don't even pay them the whole thing more. Matter of fact, get rid of the fucking uh, minimum wage laws. If they're willing to work for it and it's better for them, they're not American citizens and they're not trying to claim American citizenship. Okay, they can come up and, and you know, uh, pick strawberries or cotton or beans or whatever it is they pick. And, okay, great. I, I don't really have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is when we let people in willy-nilly which brings in not just, uh, you know, uh, hardworking uh, campesinos. Right. But it brings in the trafficking. It brings in the fentanyl. It brings in uh, guys horrible with, abuse. Guys with face tattoos. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Everybody's seen Breaking Bad. Come on. Yeah, and look, that's uh, the, the sad thing is it's easier to get into the country by risking your life crossing the desert on foot than it is to go to a U.S. consulate and apply for a visa. That's and, exactly right. And today on uh, Twitter, Chad Felix Green has a very long series of, of posts about all of the hoops that he is having to jump through with what used to be called INS. I'm not sure what they call it now. Uh, with his husband, who he's been with at this point for five years uh, or six years, and... Um, they're calling just to in. get him legal. Yeah. And they're calling him in and making him take a two uh, six hour drive for a two hour interview, as he puts it, uh, to determine, hey, I know you guys have been together and living together for five years 
and you have all these pictures and stuff of you being together and whatnot. But uh, you need to come by and talk to us for two hours just so that we can be sure that he gets to stay in the country. Yeah, no, it's absolutely it makes absolutely no sense. You know, I have a few friends who are immigrants who it cost them tens of thousands. Well, less than 20, but uh, a few of them more than 10,000 to to and like six, seven years in order to get a green card. Just a green card. And, you know, from there, it's easier to then get the, 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 uh, you know, become a citizen. But, I mean, the amount of hoops we make, people who really want to be here, be American, and who are productive members of the society, is ridiculous. And they do it legally. And it just, it it, it amazes me that we'll make it so easy that uh, you can pretend to be somebody seeking asylum. Really, you're just a coyote. Uh, ushering somebody's children across the line so they'll get American citizenship and then they'll get benefits. Yeah, or, you know, anchor babies. If I can just get across the border and have a kid in El Paso, I get to stay because he's an American. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that. I mean, I don't know how I feel about that whole anchor baby thing. I, I, I've never thought about it enough, I, I think, to, to really come up with a a reasonable philosophical you know like approach to it well the Uh, the key takeaway is make immigration easier that gives us more control over our border we can let us you know as many people as we want in uh make them not have to jump through hoops let them come here legally then they don't have to risk their lives walking barefoot through the desert of arizona with some coyote who if you're a female is very likely to rape you as part yeah, of the well, we know this. The statistics. What it was something like eighty percent of the girls of all ages are raped. And by not the once, way, we do mean twice. we do mean all ages. Yes, like I mean, they are likely to be raped several times on their journey. That's just that's. I mean, we're we're basically suborning th- this behavior. We're, we're, we're actually enabling this sort of abomination. And that's just disgusting to me. And look, if you're going to pay $300 to a coyote to, to, to rape you or assault you in other ways, or perhaps leave you in the back of an of, of a, uh, un-air-conditioned yeah. 18-wheeler if, if Border Patrol gets a little too close so that you just die in the Arizona desert when it's 120 degrees outside, what if... We just let those people truly trot over to the local American consulate, drop 350 bucks on the table, and say, hey, sure, we'll get you to the U.S. Yeah. Just show this at the border. You can walk right across. I, I, I think there are literally uh, hundreds of things that we could do differently. Even if it didn't reduce the number of people coming in from Mexico or Guatemala or whatever, it would certainly stop w- what is a massive and largely ignored human tragedy going on at the border by the way that these people are are just victimized constantly uh, and and put into grave at the very least put into grave danger by fairly sketchy characters yeah and by the time they get here how useful are they going to be they're so traumatized yeah seems like it'd be if you're going to pay 350 bucks to get across Hey, why don't you just pay it to us and we'll just here. Here's a visa stamp. 
Show this at the border. Just walk right across the bridge. Oh, hell, go to the consulate in your country, and we'll fly you over. <laughs> Let's just skip that whole thing. Okay. I'm not entirely sure that the U.S. government should be paying for their airfare, um, but hey, just show this piece of paper at the border. You get to come right in. Here you go. Here's a visa. It's good for six months. Is that good for you? Yeah, and well, of course, there's the old, um, and I think accurate saw that, you know, how many of these people can we take in and how much difference will it make? Well, see, that's the, well, see, that gets us really into, into. That's in the weeds. Yeah. That gets us really into deep waters there because, okay, if we just allowed a whole, there are 7.3 billion people in the world. Right. Do they all get to come here if they want? Um that's that's always the thing. There are always going to be more people who want to come to this horrible uh, racist nation racist, of oppressors yeah, right. than who want to stay in their their own country. So at some point we've got to you know we've got to put some limits on it. Nobody wants to identify what those limits are, and once you hit those limits and there are no more available for this year, then I you, you still get some amount of people who will pay the coyotes to bring them across the border. Um, I think that's undeniable. But you know. How how much of a burden can we put on our you know, medical care system, our other systems of social care uh, that we have to keep you know, anyone, but including illegal immigrants, from just dying in the streets of starvation? Um, yeah, you know, how much of a burden can we can we afford to do that if we just let anybody come in? I mean, there are no good answers. I mean, obviously the best answer would be to let anyone go anywhere that they wanted, as long as they agreed to live by the rules of wherever it is that they wanted to go. But, you know, what if 200 million people wanted to come here? Well, where would they live? Right. You know, where would not going to all move to Wyoming. Yeah. Where would they drive? Um, Where would the cars be to, to well, especially if they're electric cars how are we gonna uh how are we gonna power them yeah by the way the state of california has asked that we not uh, recharge our electric cars. i saw that in the current uh, <laughs> current emergency hmm okay yeah are we, gonna, <laughs> are we gonna build any new electric power generation no we're not and by the way unless we're gonna do nuclear we we simply can't um, well that's right the drought out west and it's a massive drought it's way more than just california um think hoover dam uh the power generation station there the hydroelectric station has now had to substantially reduce its power generation and if the water goes down much more they're just going to have to stop generating power completely uh we're already 138 feet lower than its peak level uh there are too many people out here for the water supplies that are available to them and it's fucking hot. Hot and hasn't rained. It has not rained here like at my house. Uh, I don't believe it has rained once in the last six months. Yeah. Uh, not a drop. It, oh, God. I, I, I could describe it to you. The, the, so right now I'm sitting outside in Virginia, and we're generally a lot moister than uh, the, the West Coast. We have lots of plants and, you know, whatever else. But... Um, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I'm sweating like uh, like a whore in church, like uh, somebody who killed John Wick's dog. I'm just like, it is it is sweaty. Yeah, well, it's not that much cooler here, but we don't have to deal with the humidity that uh, that you do. Yeah, 
but that's nice. We are, by the way, still looking at houses in eastern Kentucky. It's a lovely place. It really is. I mean, depending on where you go, but it's a lovely place. I just can't find a place that has less than 10 acres that they want me to mow. <laughs> Get goats. <laughs> oh, no. Goats are a whole nother problem, my friend. <laughs> Trust me, I, uh, uh, hell, we've been at this for an hour and a half. We should probably think about shutting her down. But Has it been that long? Holy shit. Yeah, but uh, I was watching um, uh, a, a new show on, on, on Amazon Prime. It's Jeremy Clarkson running his farm for a year during COVID. Yeah. And so he just became, you know, a farmer. And um, oh, it was really fascinating uh, just how he had to get sheep because he thought, well, I've got to cut all these fields because he owns like a thousand acres in the Cotswolds. So he thought, well, I'll just get sheep. Oh my God. The whole, the whole nature of having to work with sheep and their veterinary care and shearing and all of that stuff. Um, really? Cause I thought that too. I thought, Hey, just get some sheep or some goats. Just let them loose. They'll just go out there and eat. Uh, not so fast, smart ass, because they, <laughs> yeah, right. because they're animals and they need actual veterinary care and all that other stuff. And by the way, not super robust and hardy animals, as far as I can tell either. Yeah. If you let them run around too much, you know, their stomachs will fold up and then they'll have a bowel <laughs> instruction. And now you're $5,000 into surgery to untangle its intestines. Yeah. For a $3 goat. Yeah. For a $3 goat. <laughs> All right, well, look, Michael, have a great uh, have a great week. We'll uh, talk to you next time we're up. All right, brother. Talk to you later. Right. Bye. You've been listening to Observations Q&O Podcast for Friday, the 16th of July, 2021. On behalf of Michael Wade and the absent Bruce McQueen, we appreciate the fact that you listen and hope you'll be listening the next time. Until then, have a great week, everybody. So long.